With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Mark Malkoff, who's been on this podcast before, he's such a funny guy, crazy guy, does experiments with his life all the time. Like even, remember one time he stayed on an airplane and just, he traveled on an airplane for 30 straight days without leaving the airplane because he wanted to get over his fear of flying. But anyway, Mark is an obsessive fan of all things Bill Murray. And we were, or maybe we even still are, considering doing a podcast just about every single Bill Murray movie. And we started off doing an entire podcast about the very first Bill Murray movie and all sorts of crazy things about Bill Murray, who's one of my favorite comedic actors. So here's Mark Malkoff and I breaking down the good, the bad, the funny of Bill Murray. So a brand new podcast dedicated to the movies of one of the most amazing actors of the past 50 years, Bill Murray. This is James Aldisher with Mark Malkoff. Mark, how's it going? Oh, this is good. I, I saw you did. You brought your research along. I know. Well, I've got two books with me. Uh, the Tao of Bill Murray, uh, which tells all these crazy stories you always just hear about where Bill Murray will go up to somebody, you know, put, you know, surprise them, put his hands around their eyes, and then they turn around and they see Bill Murray, and Bill Murray will say, no one's ever going to believe this story. He has, he has thousands of stories like this, and this this book, The Tao of Bill Murray, is really great, describing a lot of those stories. And then there's this other book, uh, Wild and Crazy Guys, about that whole generation of John Belushi, Bill Murray, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, that kind of came out of that National Lampoon, Second City, SNL culture to create all these movies from Animal House and going forward, all the Bill Murray movies, all the Chevy Chase movies, Steve Martin movies, and so on. So it's it's kind of a fascinating look at that generation. And the Dow of Bill Murray is a fascinating look at Bill Murray. The Murray story stuff, like I wasn't even going to talk about the Netflix one uh, that's on Netflix, but just the Murray stories I had, I've heard like the last like 10, 12 years, it is so hard to tell what's real and what's not. And then you have people online writing fan fiction type stories about Murray. And, uh, you know, people, I think just the public, a lot of times it seems like they'll just latch onto something that may or not be true. And it becomes this myth that, that people say is true. So, 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 you know, you, there, there was this documentary about Bill Murray, which describes a lot of these stories. And, and I was thinking of you when I was thinking about doing a podcast just about the movies of Bill Murray, because you were in that documentary. I am. Tommy Avalone, who's a really great director, asked me to do it, and I was like, no one's ever going to see this. And then I see on his Facebook, it's going to South by Southwest, and the New York Times is covering it, and then it's on Netflix. Uh, I saw it on a plane. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. I've heard from a lot of people. And then I saw you, and I'm like, that's Mark <laughs> Malkoff. He used to live on a plane. Um, yeah, it was, it was really good. I mean, he did a fantastic job. 
reaching out to these people that never told their stories before. And there is something about Murray's career and just his attitude that is different from, I can't think of anybody that, anybody like it that has had longevity in this industry. I, I, it's a really, um, it's, it's something that I feel like hasn't been explored enough. So, so before we get into his, his first starring vehicle, Meatballs, tell your story of how, like, why were you in that documentary? I was in the documentary because I was under contract with a comedy website doing content. And I had the idea to try to get Bill Murray, because he does all these outrageous things. Not outrageous, but just very, I, I don't know, eccentric, just really interesting things. I, I thought that there would be a chance that if I if I called him, because um, I had just got the 1-800 number. I'm like one of the rare people. I still get people um, that message me asking for the 1-800 number, and I can't give it out. So, Somebody, so, so explain, yeah. what's the 1-800 number? The 1-800 number exists because he, Bill Murray has not had an agent certainly not a manager for years. I mean, he was with Mike Ovitz at one point, but I think that was years ago. The only way to get to Bill Murray is to call the 1-800 number and and hope you get a call back. And a lot of times it's radio silence. I mean, even Sofia Coppola, and Murray got nominated for an Oscar. I mean, she had to call multiple times over months. Right, she called that 1-800 number for for the movie Lost in Translation. Yeah. She wanted him to star in it. Yeah. She wrote it for him. Yeah. But she can't get a hold of him because he has no agent it's or manager. a lot of it. I know one person was telling me they called Murray's lawyer from like IMDB Pro and was like, um, I really want to get the script to to Bill Murray. And he's like, um, um, he's like, what's, what's your contact for Murray? And he repeats the 1-800 number and he, the lawyer says, that's the only number I have for him as well. And it was... There was one time I um this was I think this was yes this was true I think it was St. Vincent's that or no it was another movie that somebody's instructions were to leave a script somewhere outside the city in a phone booth and that was uh that was one of the things he's yeah it's just to get to him is there's this mystique about him and it, rightfully so that he just lives his life by his own rules and uh, he doesn't have to play the game like everyone else to 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 keep working. Well, and you know, and that begs the argument: uh, Does anyone really have to play the game? Because we're all kind of hypnotized into thinking we need to play this this role. Like we're all like kind of avatars in this in this game, this video mm -hmm. game called Earth or the U.S. or careers. And Bill Murray steps out of that game and actually wins because of it. But once you stay, he's sort of an example that once you stop defending yourself against all of the kind of social punishments, if you live outside the rules of society, uh, you actually stop holding in your creativity, your authenticity, your integrity. Like he is very uniquely himself and succeeds because of that. That's what I was going to mention, authenticity, because I know people that know him, they've known him for years and years. And uh, he he can really spot, apparently, like phoniness or people that are latching on for the, for the wrong reasons really well. But the people I've talked to that have known him as acquaintances throughout the years since the 70s, up until now, I mean, I, talk about loyalty to his friends. And, you know, he definitely has had his um, ups and downs with, like, certainly Harold Ramis. Got to see him before he passed away. Um, Dan Aykroyd does call him the Murricane sometimes because you just never know what 
Bill Murray you're going to get. And some of that will come up when we talk about Caddyshack. Yeah, we'll talk about Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know way too much about that. I shouldn't know. But um, I do. I've seen that so many times. But yeah, Murray, there's a detachment about him that I can't think of anybody else that is that detached that just... I mean, this is, we're going to talk about the meatballs, um, that monologue, that like speech that's famous, but he really believes it. I think he really believes it. Where so many people at the top, um, performers especially, are just like you know, um, their whole life is staying on top, and their whole um, they're consumed constantly over their friends and family with their career. Murray's just he's so far back from that and has still been able to succeed wildly. I mean, Bill Murray is one of those people that could work whenever he wants. He could be making several movies a year if he wanted to. Like, literally, if he called up, you know, Warner Brothers and said, I want to be Batman, they probably would give it to him. (laughs) I think so. I mean, he's been such a box office attraction for so long. America... You know, they just supported him for so many years at the at, at the box office in his career, and he's he's beloved. I do, as I mentioned, it didn't get in the documentary. There is, like anybody, there's a, um, I think like when Dan Aykroyd called him the Murricane, there's definitely um, a different side when he's not happy. I've been told some of the things. I know, like, for example, um, I really like Scrooge, that Michael O'Donohue film, and I think, did Mitch Glazer write it with him or produce it? But um, I knew, Mur- I've been told, and I read it, that Murray was not happy during that film, and he was really unhappy with with it. The, it. And, you know, they edited it together, and it's a huge hit. I saw it in the theater. I, I absolutely loved it, but I guess it was a departure from what Michael O'Donohue, who's one of the original Saturday Night Live writers, um, did. But, like, and also there's one, I know Charlie's Angels, he was really unhappy and clashed. Oh, I forgot that. So I think it's one of those things, like, the environment has to be right, and they just kind of have to let him do his thing. But anything with authority... Anything, I think like with the Charlie's Angels especially, if there's authority, an authority figure and they try to really, um, you can maybe do that to other actors in the crew, but if you try to do it to Bill Murray, it's not going to go well. Yeah, and, and um, you know, uh, like with Meatballs, and, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into it, but I don't think any of his lines were scripted. He sort of shows up the first day or the second day of filming and kind of looks through the script and throws it out. That's what happened. And then I, improvises yeah. everything, including that yeah. famous speech that you were yeah. alluding to earlier. But I, but I want to know, uh, why again were you in the documentary? So you, you Oh yeah, getting back to the reason I'm here. I, I was under contract with a comedy site, and I had this idea just based on all these eccentric, unusual things for somebody that's famous. I thought it would be a fit if I tried to call the 800 number I don't know, a couple times a month and just politely ask if he would come to my apartment in Queens uh, for, was it dinner or lunch? And my, my wife, Christine, would would make a meal. We would set it out for Murray. And then I would interview people that had experiences with him on it. And uh, it took me about a month to realize, I'm like, I, I did not think this out, right? And I say it in the documentary. Because Murray, is he's, a, he's an improviser from Chicago. And the whole thing that his life is is based on Second City Improv, which is yes and in. It would have to be like, I'd have to see him at LGA or JFK or somewhere, like run into him in Chicago and be like, you know, Bill, could I could I do this thing on my iPhone where we have lunch or, or dinner? And he, you know, he either says yes and or no. But like for me to call the 1-800 number, and there are a lot of people that just never hear from him. I, I, I very quickly, I realized that it was not probably going to go well. And then other people are like, you should hang out at this place to run into him. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to his 
where his son works, whatever restaurant or like somebody was like, um, he's at the oyster bar right now at Grand Central. I'm like, no, I, I, it would have to be for him to do something like that. Again, I, first of all, I would not do that for privacy reasons, but for him to say yes, it would just have to be the, one of those things where it just happened. Like an example of him's yes and in is I heard this story and I believe, I believe this one is true that he was in Chicago just walking down the street and a break dancer was like, come on, Bill. And Bill started break dancing. I mean, that <laughs> is, that's the thing. He has these, these things that presented to him. And a lot of times the, the, the things that are unusual, um, he yes ands. He really just is that as a person that lives in, in, in the moment. Or, or another story I heard is that he, he saw some party happening, I guess, in an apartment building or somewhere. He just goes in there and it's like college kids or grad school kids, and he he just starts serving beers out of the keg, and not really commenting that he's Bill Murray. Everyone's saying that's Bill Murray, and he's just hey, here's a beer, and he's just having fun with them. And he was doing dishes at one of the parties. But the thing is, Murray, Bill Murray has been interviewed about this, and he will not, he won't deny it or confirm anything. So it's like some of the stories I would strongly guess didn't happen, but I think he just enjoys this. People could say, oh, it's easy for him to do now because he's so successful. But he was doing this before he was successful, ever All since the time. he was, no. his, say, his second city days or before. Yeah. No, it was always that that was his thing, always before he was famous. And um, yeah, I mean, the people I know that talked to him just said he's he, like loyal guy in the moment. He's there for you. And he's just like, he lives his life how he, he wants to. I mean, he, I mean, it, they talk about in the, the doc that he's in. Um, what South Carolina is in Charleston a lot, and I think that they they leave him alone, and he just wants to be around around people that are just hanging out. And you know, if organically he runs into someone and they have this conversation, it's interesting. You know, Murray might say, "Let's get a drink," or do you want to like go to somewhere and watch um, watch a Cubs game or something? And and I feel though there's 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 levels of when you say he just does what he wants to do. There's levels of that. There's there's like what you just described, like, hey, uh, you know, let's grab a drink. But then also I think for him, there is a clown-like aspect as well to his personality. And I don't mean clown in the sense of painting his face and wearing a red nose, but in terms of like uh, uh, going, go, entering into a situation as if it were a game and how can he make it as almost as absurd as possible. I love that point. No, that's, I think like in Second City, yes, and, and try to heighten as, as much as possible. And I mean, just the, the stuff, the video I've seen of him with the River Dogs in Charleston and just, you know, the, with the poetry, with the construction workers. Well, what's the, what's the construction workers? Oh, you do, um, Murray, for some reason, I don't know. I think it was the second time he's done it. He did poetry for construction workers down somewhere. I think it was in the village. And um, yeah, they just kind of listened, and he was—it was some maybe it was a poetry or organization or something. But he's once he latches onto something and believes in it, and he like considers somebody a friend or something. I think he was doing it to support somebody, but yeah, it was just him doing poetry for construction. And workers. he commits to it, like like 100%. like the way a comedian might oh, commit to 100%. an act. And I think like some of this stuff, I think he really, really believes in. He might not necessarily think it's it's funny. I just think he like he does his own thing. And he, he, unlike anyone else I can think of, uh, Jim Downey, who's a longtime Saturday Night Live writer, he is, he's friends with Murray, and he wrote, he, um, in the oral history, the Tom Shales, um, James Andrew Miller. Um, yeah. Yeah, that the book, Down, Downey said out of, 
anybody he knows, and he knows a lot of famous people, Bill Murray, he's the only one that would kind of challenge or like not fully respect people of power that could directly affect his career. Like he didn't care. I'm paraphrasing, but like someone he met, he met he mentioned someone like Harry Shear, who sometimes uh, he's always been nice to me. Um, but I know sometimes people have had trouble with him. And I think his point was Harry Shear when he was around those pa- the people, the decision makers was 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 a different person. And Murray was not, and he just didn't care. And and Harry Shear just to. Um, He's in The Simpsons, right? He, what, what role did yeah. he play again in The Simpsons? Oh my gosh, he played so so many of the roles in The Simpsons, and then he was, um, you know, the Guffman. Um, that he's like with Chris Guest. Um, I don't know. Oh yeah, waiting yeah. for Guffman. Yeah, I don't know if he's is he in Guffman, but he's he's is definitely he in, this in is Spinal, Spinal Tap. Tap. Yeah, Spinal Tap. No, I don't think Guffman, but like certainly a lot of the Chris Guest movies, and like, um, yeah, he is like one of the. Emo- I mean, he was a child actor with Jack Benny. He. Um, I've spent some time with him. He was very nice to me. And he's one of those people that has just worked since he was a kid. And and he's one of those people, like him and Buck Henry are the only two people I know that could read um, cue cards without ever looking them on site and just read it as they go and make it make it work. Like, like they basically, if we were reading off, if we were playing a scene right now, I would just be reading off the cue cards for the first time and no, the audience would have no idea that I didn't work on this scene or memorize it. So yeah, he can he can um he can look at a script and audition in front of people never seen the script before and just do that. And Buck Henry has that thing as well. But for Murray auditioning, which he probably hasn't auditioned in 30 years, what 20 some years, 30 years, um, I'm guessing for an audition, he just he's given the sides, he's given a script, and he probably just crumbles it and does his thing. When do you think I you know I don't know of actually any time where he's um auditioned. I I really like oh, did he audition asking, for Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters? Uh, no, 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 no. We'll talk. We can talk about that now. He did not. He didn't because do that. I think John Belushi was. Was John Belushi a couple of years ago when they were writing it? He was um, being considered because Aykroyd had that thing going for quite a while, and he was. It was definitely a vehicle. I think Chevy Chase at one point. Um, but what happened is Ivan Reitman, and I don't want to give too much away just because we maybe we'll yeah. talk about Ghostbusters. But Ivan Reitman, um, in this this pretty much happened with meatballs. Ivan Reitman picked him up at the airport for Ghostbusters because he just wasn't sure if Bill was Murray was going to show up. He was very like I'm not sure if he's going to if he's actually going to do it. He said oh, maybe and um but Ivan Reitman personally picked him up at the airport and to Ivan Reitman's knowledge Bill Murray had never even read a script at that point. Huh. So so I'm really curious about this style that Bill Murray has which unlike Robin Williams who can play very serious roles in a very serious way like he can he has this range from you know his stand-up comedy to funny like there's the stand-up comedy then there's funny like in good morning vietnam and then there's really serious like when he's you know dead poet society and stuff like that and but but bill murray does seem to have this philosophy in his persona in almost every that comes out in almost every single film and again i feel like it's this clown-like aspect what do you think is the difference between a comedic actor, an improviser, a stand-up comedian, and again this clown-like authenticity? I think like the improviser. First of all, I think he's a playful person in general, a playful individual. Which, and then it's just the improviser and is just being in the moment, and it's just uh, really being present, listening, and going with with um, going with instinct where um you know most actors can't do that i mean they need the script 
and they, you know, it's like a Bible to them with every every word. Right, which um, is why a lot yeah, of actors yeah. can't do public. Like you see at the Oscars, yeah, they're totally stiff when they have to yeah. read. You know, oh, it's terrifying it to, for them. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason. Like nobody can do that today, but that's the reason why so many of um, famous people back in the day wouldn't go on Carson or, or Letterman, and now the, everything's changed. Like De Niro or Pacino, Meryl Streep, none of them would go on those type of shows, but now that it's everything's changed and they have to to sell their movies but um yeah he he's he's definitely watching um watching last night i watched meatballs for the first time in a long time he's definitely one of those people that just goes with his instinct and is it seems to be there to have fun so 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 like an improviser let, let's say you're an, uh, an improviser you get a cue from the audience like you know oh yeah like a suggestion maybe right yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you're with a group of people usually yeah and you do the yes and, yeah. and then in a typical Second City type scenario is uh, someone, an act, an improviser on the outskirts can say freeze and then jumps, in, you know, taps someone out and takes their place and the, the improvisation continues. And let's say I'll make the distinction between that and a clown. A clown is also taking cues, but mostly from the environment and situation and context around them and is kind of acting on their own. And I think a clown really cares what the response is, and I don't think Murray cares. I think he's that detached where, I mean, he'd be like, I wish it went better, but I don't think he cares. I really, really don't. Um, he was yet yeah, Second City. I think it was 74 he got to Second City. Um, maybe it was earlier, and he um, had the mustache. And they were he was in the sketch shows, too, so they were doing, like, the sketch and then the improv. And uh, it seemed to me that it happened really quickly because he got to Chicago— and before um, anything, like a year or two, I don't think he was at Second City that long. I could be off. He's here doing the National Lampoon thing. And um, they're seriously considering for Saturday Night Live. For someone that started, I mean, he did plays and stuff, but I don't know. I, I could be off, but I thought his first professional thing was at Second City 74. Maybe it was 73. It certainly wasn't 72. He just wasn't really doing it that long. And normally, as we both know, it takes... It takes normally years and years. The people that I really like that are improvisers, a lot of times they cut their teeth in Chicago for at least like four or five years. And 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 people forget how many um, well-known actors have have kind of quote unquote graduated from Second City. There's like uh, Steve Carell from The Office. There's, That's true. I, Dan Aykroyd came from like the Canadian he version. He did. He was the, in Toronto. Everyone from Stephen Colbert to Tina Fey to Robert Klein, David Steinberg, Peter Boyle. Joan Rivers was there for a little bit too. Um, Dan, um, who else? I mean, d definitely like um, like John Candy and Mike Myers was up in Toronto but did a little bit in Chicago when they, they switched. Um, they switched. But yeah, for a long time, like Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, um, for a long time, they were where SNL was getting a lot of their people from Second City. Um, it's kind of everything's changed right now, especially with um, UCB, uh, and it's just the whole thing with the internet. Everything's changed, but that was the that's where Lauren Michaels would go. We'd go to Second City. He would go to the Groundlings and and sit sit um, through stand up showcases occasionally, and that's where they they pulled most of their talent. And there's just something about Murray. That you know, Lauren Michaels always says it's three elements for somebody that ha that's going to have a successful career do doing this as a performer. The first is 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 talent, which there's a lot of people that are talented, and Murray especially. The second one is discipline, and Murray will tell you he's lazy. I've seen him in interviews being like, "I'm a pretty lazy person," and then the third is luck. But you know, but I, let me just comment yeah. on lazy. I'll, I'll give a quote from Bill Gates. 
uh, Bill Gates likes to hire lazy people because they're the best at figuring out how to do something in the most efficient amount of time. I, that's a good point. And, and you know, Bill Bill Murray's, you know, I think, you know, some of these scenarios we're describing where he improvises, that's not laziness. I mean, that comes after a lot. He did work hard at Second City oh, and yeah. SNL and all these things. Oh, like, when he's, he figured out how to yeah. do these scenes and how to have this persona where that's what he could pull out to pull off any scene. Once he's there, he's fully committed and focused 100%. He's there also to have fun. I mean, he's he's said, I was working with somebody that was their first movie and he's like, I just wanted to show them you can have, how much fun you can actually have on a movie set. So he's he's definitely about that, but he's not one of these people that's constantly, he doesn't even have an agent, but he wasn't constantly calling Mike Ovitz or whoever he was represented in, in the 70s and 80s and be like, you get, you have to get me a script. You have to get me a script. I want to do, uh, you know, two or th- two projects this year because, you know, most people that are in entertainment, and he's one of the rare exceptions, you have to show up constantly in front of the public, whether it's in a movie or TV or a talk show. Like, I think maybe I was just talking about it was Mr. Steve Cohen who's sitting over there. I think we were, actually. Yeah, Mr. You, Steve Cohen? Mr. Steve Cohen was talking about, wasn't it Ice T you were talking to? Or I'm trying to remember who it was that said if they didn't show up for oh, a me. year. I said James it. Was it you? Yeah, I was on Ice T's podcast. Before the podcast started, I asked Ice T if you disappeared for six months completely like no music no acting nothing how long before people would stop talking about you and he replied six months which was kind of depressing i think he was exaggerating but like it's the truth like rosie o'donnell went to like the daytime like i mean the most successful daytime show i mean they they, the final final offer was like 80 million to do one more season and she wouldn't do it and she she left and then i don't know a bunch of years later she says she walks all over the place and younger people have no idea. Yeah, people only know her now from like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, it's it's like the like even Neil Diamond doesn't perform anymore, but every year he would make an appearance on on the shows like multiple just to be like I exist. I'm doing this and then, you know, he was still selling at Madison Square Garden, but there's very few people that do not have to show up constantly and Murray is one of those exceptions. Do you think, I, I mean, this is really an un, unrelated, but do you think that's like an addiction, this need to show up? Like, why does Neil Diamond care? It might be his other people, but Barry Manilow, I just think, like, to keep it going. It's like Coca-Cola advertises, even though they have they have that market. Um, that's their market. I mean, yeah, they have, if they don't advertise, though, their fear is Pepsi will that's it. pass them. But, like, Neil Diamond, he's made his money. Yeah, true. He's, he's, he's not going to have a brand new number one hit, most likely. Uh, you know, so, so his, his artistic, you know, integrity was sort of preserved in time from back in the day. He's not going to recreate it. I, you know what my thing is, is, and I don't know if this is true or not. I think he's up in Malibu these days hanging out. Um, but I've been in situations with people that when I was younger or when I was, um, um, with people that were like, were way after Neil Diamond's time, his prime. And the moment being in a place when Sweet Caroline comes on, this 20-year-olds, they, they start going into it. And it's something about, I, I maybe it's the, one of those things still showing up and still like th- for the younger generations to know who he is and just, I, I, that could be it. But that is, you wouldn't think somebody like uh, a Neil Diamond or like a Madonna or a McCartney, certainly, but somehow they all show up pr- pretty regularly. Yeah, and you can argue, well, 
they're making a lot of money every time they go on tour, but McCartney's already worth a billion dollars. Yeah. And maybe he makes 50, 60 million a tour, but... He doesn't have to go on Fallon and do... I, I was there once. This really... Um, I know some people over there, and this really... One of my friends over there was like, Mark, I can't tell you which show, but we have a big performer um, on one of the two shows. And I, thankfully, I picked the right one. And I was like, it has to be McCartney. Because it's like, there's very few people that go on those shows that it's like, oh, my goodness. And McCartney played, I think, three songs aired, and he played eight songs for the audience. And I know the same thing happened at Colbert. They played um, X amount of songs, but he did way more for the audience. He does not have to be doing that. He he just doesn't. There, I mean, he went on Carson once and wouldn't even play music. Um, they, they would try to get him to do music. And I don't, he rarely, almost never did those shows. But I just, I, again, I think things have changed, especially with social media. I mean, I never thought Bob Dylan would be on Twitter, by the way. And it's never, he's not tweeting, but just the fact that he has a website and is uh, like handled on social media was something I just never, I never but, thought. But Bob Dylan is close to that um, ideal of kind of not caring that he's as relevant now as he was in the past. I mean, he, I forget. Did he, sh he? I think there was. He, did he show up for winning the Nobel Prize, or did he not he, show up? He did he didn't not even respond show to the for offer. that. He did go to something at the White House where he got honored. Um, but President Obama put some medal around him, but he did not go to that. And uh, yeah, I think he's just. I, I, he did a rare interview with Ed Bradley on sixty Minutes, the great uh, late Ed Bradley. And the only reason he I mean he hates doing interviews. This must have been his last maybe on camera with a journalist because he had to because he wrote a book for Simon and Schuster and he signed something that he had to do one 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 of those same with Marlon Brando he didn't want to do Larry King, Larry King they, these are guys that don't do this stuff so Ed Bradley was asking Dylan about like he tours all the time like you never see that guy a public photo from him he's either you just always on stage when you see photos of that guy and Ed Bradley was asking him about the touring and he just said he made a deal with uh I could, and Ed Bradley is like, is that with God or the devil? And Bob Dylan started laughing. But he made, he said he basically made a deal at the start of his career that he was going to use this gift and just do it constantly. Well, well, and 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 again, this is off the topic of Bill Murray, but it's related. Like Bob Dylan in the mid '60s, I forget what concert it was, but he, you know, he was known as this great songwriter and also a great folk yeah. singer. And then suddenly he opens up one concert with an electric guitar and everyone yeah. starts booing him. Gosh, that was in Rhode Island. That was, I, I, I could be off on that. But yeah, no, I mean, his fan base. Yeah, he I would mean, always do things to kind of yeah, upset his fan base because he, he wouldn't care. That's a good point. Like Murray doing the Razor's Edge after Ghostbusters and taking a few years after, who would take, I mean, I just love this. Very, 99.9% of people, like you're a, you do Ghostbusters, it's like the biggest hit imaginable like your faces everywhere most people would want to keep the momentum going and he took like was it two and a half years or two two years off and he was in france yeah and yeah not only did he take classes. it off he, yeah. he moved from hollywood to france yeah because yeah. he knew it was going to be a big hit he yeah. did not want to be bogged down by yeah. the hollywood fame and he would like most people also it's like they're going to stick to their niche but he wouldn't he would only do ghostbusters if he got uh, was able to do the drama that Razor's Edge, so I'm um, right. That was the deal, right? He, yeah, he, that's he, what he, I heard. He, he he refused to do Ghostbusters yeah. unless they also they gave got him to Razor's do something Edge. different. He is like that's a really good point with Dylan because um I've seen Bob Dylan perform twice and he just if you see Springsteen for the most part he's playing the songs that people want to to see him and people are like when he starts doing um 
Badlands and everyone goes crazy. And Bob Dylan, his set list is what he wants to play. There might be two or three songs that like the public would know, but he gets on the synthesizer and starts playing and the keyboard and like most people are like, no. Uh, but he's, I can't think of anyone in music. Like McCartney, when he plays, he's, he said publicly, he's like, people are paying a lot of money. I have to deliver the hits. He's like, I can get in a few of my, what I want to play, but for the most part. And Dylan... He is kind of like Murray. He's just like, I'm going to throw out what I want to throw out. And um, I, I don't think he's ever play, ever plays more than like a, a handful of his, if uh, what the public would know. Yeah, and, and, and you know, again, getting, getting back to Murray, uh, he's not, again, uh, you know, everybody sort of lumps humor and funny into one umbrella, but there really is a difference between a comedic actor, uh, an actor who rises up from stand-up, and an actor who rises up from the improv world. And I'll even still include kind of a clown-like aspect as a separate category. Uh, but like, you know, a, a comedic actor will be great at the script and have kind of funny expressions and great timing, but still needs to stick to the script. So uh, yeah. an example might be... Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, someone like Jonah Hill has never done stand-up. As far as I know, he hasn't really done, you know, improv at a professional level but he's a super funny actor uh and you, then you have guys like steve martin uh eddie murphy these guys came up robin williams came up from a stand-up world where it's they're still they're, they're they created their act but it was an act that they previously created and then they perform it over and over again and then they move into the acting world and bill murray was not a stand-up comic he was a great improviser and kind of taking his surroundings around him and the context and not necessarily trying to be funny, but using just his innate ability and, and years of practice at improvising to kind of find the absurdity in a situation. And, and usually that was like against authority or or the, the the common script we all play yeah like i mean he said he always would throw away this the script until it might have been the wes anderson movies or lost in translation but he was always throw it the stuff away and just do stuff and, and enhance it but he would definitely like um a movie like stripes there's definitely moments where he had to play it straight with warren oates who was the the he great film star that passed away soon after that where he he could do the drama i mean he could easily do the drum and make a career out of it yeah and he um, does drum like in broken flowers no, oh my gosh yeah jim Jar jarmish um i mean he was sensational in that um 100 but he is one of those guys that can that can do both and play levels and mo a lot of the stuff that he does comedy there's still like the serious element and he can he can, um he just plays it straight like i've never seen that guy try to play a joke before right I, i've never i mean and i do think yeah that that's this, a good yeah, point he's yeah. not trying to play a joke you can't you can't write humor for him yeah. he's just gonna do him yeah. and that's and he's gonna again find the bs or the absurdity in a context and express that with how he moves which you, you see most of all in, in caddyshack for instance yeah, or we'll what he says that. or the tone of his voice or how he treats the other you know players on the stage uh uh and it's interesting to see like the difference between that and like you know, a Steve Warren that again comes up through stand-up. You know, he he basically got really good at doing, you know, a performance. The one character. Yeah. yeah. And and you know, he's able to use that ability to kind of have these exaggerated performances 
you know, in his future movies, but he's not improvising. As far as I know, he's, he's reading the script. I do think, before we move on, it is very important to talk about when Murray first showed up to the public in 1976. They did not like him. They did not like him on SNL. He was getting hate mail. You replaced Chevy Chase. We want him back. How dare you? And he really had to struggle. He was struggling to get over. I mean, anything new normally takes a while, but certainly with him, America did not embrace him right away. Well, I, how old are you again? Uh, I'll talk afterwards. I, I was I definitely uh, been around a little so, bit. So 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 I remember when that first cast, you know, on SNL, yeah. was was sort of over and new players were were entering. Everyone just automatically thought I was just a little kid, but I remember people yeah. saying like everyone automatically thought, okay, that's it, that's the end of SNL. Now yeah. of course it, it it tended to blossom over and over yeah. again, but it, because he replaced uh, Chevy yeah. Chase, who went on. To kind of this, he was huge. Yeah, this movie. Chevy after one season on SNL, yeah, was huge. And then I forgot yeah. what his first movie was. Oh uh, gosh, I I know I can mention a bunch of movies he did in the seventies leading up. I don't know what his the first one would would have been. I mean, I don't but by know. the time he came Foul back, play maybe or like Oh Heavenly Dog. I'm trying to think the seventies. What he, what he what the movies he was doing, and he did that one with Carrie Fisher that I have never seen. Was it Over the Rainbow? I mean, That's it has funny. to be on YouTube, I'm guessing, but it's like, um, yeah, that was a drama. But he did all these. I mean, he did. He was under contract with NBC, and he did two, uh, a couple specials. Um, yeah. And, and then but, when he first yeah. came back to SNL to do a guest appearance after he had left, yeah. he and Bill Murray, there was so much tension. Uh, I don't know what the full story was, but they almost got into a fight. Yeah. And I think it ended up with Bill Murray basically saying you know, kind of scoffing at him and saying mediocre talent and, and then walking away. Chevy Chase has said um, that it was John Belushi, who he was friends with, kind of egging Murray on and saying, this is how <laughs> Chevy is. He's like this, grew up rich and is entitled and treating people like this. And Murray definitely is a tough kid from Illinois. And he um, went to, I think it was in Chevy's dressing room, he um, Murray started insulting him and saying something about Chevy's wife. And then Chevy said, at least my face doesn't look like Neil Armstrong landed on it. And there were, there were definitely, um, there were definitely tr punches thrown and people were trying to, I mean, I don't think, I'm trying to think of the people like they, Brian Doyle, Brian Doyle Murray, Bill's brother might've been there, but they definitely were separating them. They, were, they definitely landed a little bit, but not the full blows. And then Chevy had to go out in like 15 minutes and do his monologue like nothing ever happened. Right, and then yeah. and then I think the next time they basically got together, there was, there was from what I read, there was one brief encounter just randomly, but then it was basically on the set of Caddyshack yeah. a few years later. And, and there they was, got together and there was some tension there. Absolutely. And there's an interesting, yeah. again, improvised scene in Caddyshack, which yeah. we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah, we'll talk about, yeah. But uh, it's fascinating to follow their relationship because, again, they were different styles, like Bill Murray yeah. being that oh, sort of clown-like figure and, yeah. and Chevy Chase being an excellent comedic actor. Like He had such a, a wide range of expressions and he plays that sort of white bread, rich yeah kind of character very well. Somebody was saying that he plays, um, it might have been Harold Ramis in an interview, said 
he's really, really good at playing the like being superior to everyone else yeah. type thing really, really well in comedy. Like I like uh, uh, Fletch. Oh my gosh, that's the best. That and Funny Farm, I think, are his best work, his best movies. But yeah, Fletch was like the one Bill Murray thing where he kind of threw it away and or did Chevy his Chase. thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, Chase yeah. threw away the script and and did that. And he told me, he told me also because I he's been very nice to me. I I've been with him. Uh, only twice, but he's been very nice to me when we've worked together. He was telling me for vacation, him and Harold Ramis like threw out um, pretty much all, most of um, John Hughes's script and just did that. They just they would write as they went. And um, yeah, I just couldn't believe that when he told me that. But then like I found out Murray did the same thing. So the first I had a bunch of months, six months, he was couldn't get over. And then he did this one sketch where I think he was in, he was in the shower and using the, the soap as a microphone. And it was was he talking into the camera? But it was all like a, talking about how the audience did, did, um, didn't like him. And this was a sketch that was sp- specifically defined. And maybe Lauren Michaels was helping with him to get over with the audience. And that was something that really did well. And I think that that was, that was kind of the breakthrough. Breakthrough with that. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned um, Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis, he was in Stripes with. Yeah. Uh, Harold Ramis helped write uh Caddyshack, they did Ghostbusters, Grand, they did Groundhog Day together. Groundhog Day, yeah. which is when their relationship kind of yes, that's, uh, splintered. That's what I heard. And that's then there's also Ivan Reitman, who he did uh, Bill Murray. That was Meatballs. Ivan Reitman yeah. produced that, and then later Caddyshack, and also produced Ghostbusters, I think. And uh, uh, it's it's interesting. Like again, we say so and so is is lazy, but what what's fascinating to me is you know there's that saying you're the average of the five people you spend your time with. And, you know, people, success, there's no such thing as self-made success. Like people kind of grow up in a career as a group. So Bill Murray pretty quickly associated himself. He wasn't just kind of like walking around in a daze, even though it was hard to get a hold of and had, you know, various, you know, you'd have to convince him to do a movie and he didn't really care about the results, it seems. But he did associate early on with Ivan Reitman, with sure. Lauren Michaels, with Harold yeah. Ramis, yeah. you know how Harold Ramis. I, I uh, you know, Harold Ramis says the phrase, you know, always stand next to the smartest person in the room, and he says, "I stood next to Bill Murray." And the way he met Bill Murray, and this is related to our later discussion yeah. on Caddyshack, the way he met Bill Murray was, I guess, Bill Murray and his brother uh, Brian, Brian yeah. were working as caddies, and I think Harold Ramis was as well. Is but- that really? I didn't know that. I know that they worked as caddies, but I certainly didn't know if that's how they met met Ramis. Wow. That, I have now. I I was not sure either. I, but now I've read this from two different sources. Great. That Harold Ramis basically bought hot dogs from Bill Murray, who was working at the at the hot dog stand on the ninth mm, hole of this um, golf course in Illinois. Maybe it's Will Matt. That's I think where Murray lived at the time. That's yeah, so yeah. They grew funny. up in Illinois, I think. Yeah. And and Harold Ramis said, "This guy's the funniest guy," and they just kept staying in that's, touch and trying to so work together. So interesting. And then Harold. Yeah, Ramis at Second City, um, and them. I, th- I don't think I. Maybe they crossed paths at Second City for a while, but I don't think too long. Maybe a year, but yeah, I mean, definitely. But I would argue, um, other than Lauren Michaels on SNL, like everybody from Ivan Reitman to Harold Ramis, they seems like to me that most of the time they they that they would go to Bill and be not literally on their hands and knees, but like they would have to be so persistent to have him do it. I mean. Even with with the um, they were gonna do a Ghostbusters thing before um, before like Kristen Wiig and all those other amazing, um, you know, like Leslie Jones and all all of them, Kate McKinnon, um, you know, they were in Toronto for some film festival and 
you know, it was the first time because um, Reitman was calling Bill Murray and he wouldn't return the calls. So it was the first time that they, they, they um, were at a restaurant or a bar and they shut down. Uh, so it was just the two of them. And he was trying to talk about Ghostbusters, um, of getting back to the Ghostbusters. And Murray just was like, Let's, no, I just want to talk about you and me and all of that. So it, it seems like way more that the people, people needed Murray rather than Murray needed anybody. Right. Well, and again, I think that that's, that's the interesting thing. That's why we're, we're talking about all this is because not just that is the movies are so great and so interesting, but Bill Murray himself is kind of, it's kind of interesting to figure out what to emulate in his person, in, in his philosophy of life. You know, that's why this book about Bill Murray is not just the biography of Bill Murray. It's the Tao of Bill Murray. He has this interesting perspective on life. So I imagine when he's sitting down with Ivan Reitman, he's doing what feels right to him rather than kind of jockeying around something he doesn't really want to do, which is be associated with the latest Ghostbusters. He wants to rekindle yeah. a friendship, a lifelong friendship that that is much more meaningful to him than the Ghostbusters franchise. But this segues into Meatballs because, you know, so it's his first sure. starring role. Ivan Reitman um, had, I guess, directed him on the National Lampoon show and they, they knew each other. And Ivan Reitman wrote this part specifically for him. But Bill Murray was not famous at all. I think he had done one like, season. Yeah, of one SNL. season of SNL. He, apparently, he had a three hundred dollar a month loft in New York. Uh, I think in either the Soho or Tribeca area. So you and and he was committed that summer to traveling around with this minor league baseball team that his friend had bought, and he uh, and that's all he wanted to do. He said it was. I guess it was the summer of seventy eight. He just wanted to play baseball, and Ivan Reitman couldn't get a hold of him. So Ivan Reitman would send the script to every baseball state stadium, hoping that Bill Murray would read it. And then the night before they were going to start filming, you know, apparently Reitman had auditioned other people, but had no clue what he was going to do. Like he was, he yeah, really he didn't know only if Murray, Murray was going to show up. He had no idea if Murray was going to going to show up. I they did have a few minor conversations leading up, but you did no commitment. Certainly no commitment. But my my point is. Is anybody that was after SNL that was there for maybe for a season would be like, I just have to keep um, getting exposure. And they would be yeah. all about um, their agent or managers or whoever doing a high-profile thing. And Murray just couldn't care less that he was getting his star starring role, that they were just giving this to him. He just didn't care. And, and you see that happen with actors now is, okay, let's say an actor has this huge breakout hit. Like, let's say Zach. Galifianakis in yeah, The Hangover. Yeah, okay, nobody had heard about him yeah. outside of the comedy world. Nobody That's had heard true, about like him. the alt comedy world. Yeah, or like yeah. before The Hangover. But then suddenly you have a hit like that. And this is not just about him. This is about any actor, really. This, the correct strategy is to say yes to every single movie possible. For And we're seeing this with Tiffany Haddish right now, too. Uh, say yes. And it's a good strategy. Say yes to every possible movie offer. Collect your millions, and then you could be more more selective. selective a little bit, and just keep showing up in front of the public. Yeah. But Bill Murray, who had yet to even have a starring role in in something, was just so blasé about meatballs, even though kind of had you know everybody thought it would be, everybody actually thought it would be a hit because it was being um, considered the potential Animal House of summer camp. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, John yeah. Belushi break out so yeah. much, and and just the night before filming started, Bill Murray agreed to be in it <laughs> he showed up 
There's an oral history. I think Vanity Fair and he showed up in a Hawaiian shirt and that's what he wears in the beginning of the yeah, movie for a while. he threw away the whole, uh, you know, all the clothes that they yeah. had in the, what do you call it? The, the um, dressing room. Yeah, yeah, the, with the wardrobe. Room. Yeah, sure. Yeah. With the he, he threw out his whole wardrobe people. and just wore the clothes he showed up it's in. Like the costume department, those people are so talented. They get paid so much money to do that and Murray's just like, no, we're not doing this. And, Nobody can argue with him. And did, did you feel looking at his clothes, by the way, when you were watching Meatballs uh, last night? You, you were watching it. Yeah, uh, yeah Did I you feel it. that his clothes were a little bit kind of off-putting? Even what he was wearing, yes, his outfit and his shoes. Uh, and then I read the Vanity Fair article and I was like, okay, this makes this makes much more sense. Because it does, it did actually feel a little bit, and, and you appreciate what goes in the wardrobe, felt like even like the colors were a little bit off oh, to it me. It seemed like he, that, who, that, that his outfit, he just didn't care. Whoever did his outfit, uh, and I didn't know it was Murray himself, just did, didn't care. And I, I, there's something great about that. Yeah, I, and it goes with yeah, the, yeah. it ultimately goes with it, the character. It really, really does. And then again, Reitman said that when they handed him that's the script, whatever the first day or whatever, he just threw it in the threw it in the, the trash can, the garbage can. Yeah, and then he every single line afterwards, he improvised, and then they and then as the character, well, the oh, the other thing that's interesting, by the way, in the very beginning is, uh, he never wore makeup in the movie, and I don't know if that has ever I happened didn't before. Know or that. Since. Yeah, I've never I've never heard of somebody making a motion picture, especially starring, that didn't do it. With with makeup, I, I have to say, as funny as Bill Murray is in that movie, he has these tender scenes with Chris Makepeace. Yeah, and th there's a lot. There are levels, and I, I mean, I really uh, there, there's that one scene where Chris Makepeace is himself in the diner, and Murray comes in, and he's wearing some like a hockey jacket or something, and he just sits down with him, and there's something really tender about it. But it does seem like those like that movie would be almost like a Chris Guest movie where they have the pivotal plot point set up, but everything else is like. Do your thing and and go. So. Oh, I didn't know that's how the Chris Guest movies. Yeah, go. normally what they do they're, is they're they have a very light. They have a very light um, outline. Even like Larry David with Curb, it's like this outline. It's a rough outline, but it's there. And then just yeah, we'll see, let's see what happens. Look at that, and that yeah. works. Like uh, you get smart people, talented people. Yes. Yeah, because they're all trying to make each other laugh in the scenes, and and yeah. the laughter is actually really real as opposed to scripted. But the whole Bill Murray Chris Makepeace thing, they weren't really going to make that. This that wasn't as much in the script. Like you know, it, it, really the script. So so okay, the Meatballs movie. Just to quickly summarize it, it's a summer camp experience. There are campers. There's kind of the director of the camp. There's Bill Murray, who's the head counselor, and then there are these CITs, counselors in training. And the movie um, is originally supposed to focus on these CITs, the counselors in training, and kind of their romantic intrigues and the funny things, you know, again, Animal House-like things they do to each other. And there's kind of the poor camp where Bill Murray is, and there's the rich kids the rich camp, kids, yeah. Camp Mohawk, and they're supposed to compete. Again, it's very modeled like Animal House, but then... Bill Murray, because his personality is so large and so beyond the script, sort of kind of becomes the the soul of the movie and his relationship with one camper, Chris Makepeace. Mm -hmm. They they have to write more and more for Chris Makepeace because yeah. that really becomes the the heart of the movie. Yeah, it's a really a really touching thing. I read also that Re Ivan Reitman said the first screening was a disaster, and his he said there has to be more Murray in it. I, I guess he didn't sit in, sit in, in post-production and it was like, we have to throw in way more Murray and they did and that's ultimately what got the, the, the public into the movie. 
you know, I I just want to add one more thing about the the makeup. I think it's very interesting because now, you know, since we were kids, you know, screens have gone from essentially low quality, yeah. you know, to to HD TV quality. And like I've been on a lot of news shows, I've always refused makeup. And I've been on a news shows since. 2004. And I remember even in 2004, someone was telling me when there's eventually high density television, everyone wearing makeup is going to look stupid. It's true. I mean, I've been on the Today Show on the weekend and they like sprayed me. Like normally they put the makeup on. This looked like a spray thing. And on one of the appearances, I just, I'm like, I do not look like this. This is, um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that I, I get that approach now, but back then, Murray, I just, I, that's un, inconceivable. Why do you I mean, think he the refused time. the makeup? Yeah, I wonder if he did that on his tell, other things. By the way. No, you can't. I couldn't tell. No, I couldn't tell anything. Um, but then again, if he says no makeup, it's no makeup. If they told him to cut his hair, that that wasn't happening. Yeah, because his mean, hair was like all over the place. Most people, when they're making their first movie, would defer to the producer, and they they would have no. They realized they would have no leverage and would just be there to please. And Bill just did not care. And 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 do you think it was so clear to Ivan Reitman? And this is to Ivan Reitman's credit recognizing the the talent of bill murray so early on like it was so clear do you think it was so clear to ivan reitman that look let this guy just do his thing because that's what will make the yes. movie a hit oh 100 i mean bill murray especially with that and this stuff he just brings something to the table that is not in the scripts i mean yes the wes anderson the, um and sofia coppola are exceptions but no he just brings himself which is, is something like Lauren Michaels said those three things and Bill Murray says he's he says he's lazy but those that he has like that talent factor there's just something about him I remember when I went to see Ghostbusters it was because of Murray I mean yes Ray Parker Jr thing but I was there to see Murray I mean I would see if Murray was there I I would I would be like we're going to see this and I I can't really think of too many other like the Star Wars movies were like that but I can't think of anything else like I knew like when like Chevy Chase Fletch, I'm like, I'm gonna be there the first day. Right, but, but I but yeah. I wouldn't always automatically see every Chevy Chase. I wouldn't, movie. but there was something about Murray that um if it was a yeah, I, I mean I had to be there. I remember my one of my friends um when I was in Arlington Heights named Morris Lee. We we were like we were best friends, we we're really good friends, but he was like, we were going back and forth. He's like, I want to see the karate kid. No, we have to see that first. I'm like, no, Ghostbusters, Bill Murray. So we saw um we saw uh, Karate Kid first, and it was very good. Uh, but then we finally saw Ghostbusters, and I saw it in the theater, and it was like, at the time, it was just like the laughs coming. And it was like, kid. but the thing is, there was kids in the theater, and there were grown-ups, and Murray transcends age. He really, really did. I mean, I just remember as a kid um, finding Bill Murray as funny as, as my dad and uh, people that were maybe um, old, older than him, which a lot of times that, that doesn't, you know, what, what adults find funny isn't necessarily what kids find funny. Well, well, you think about it, kids don't know all the social rules yet. So they'll be more physical. Mm -hmm. They'll be, they'll have eye contact longer with people. Yeah. They'll, um, you know, want things more and need things more and ask for things and do it and, and, and buck authority a little bit more, you know, they'll, they'll cry for attention. And, you know, for instance, like, again, in one of the first scenes of, of meatballs, he's giving that, you know, there, there's some kind of news team or reporter asking like, you know, what's it like <laughs> to spend a thousand dollars a week at, at camp Mohawk, which is the other camp, the, the rich kids camp. And Bill Murray is 
pretend, and it's all improvised. He's pretending to be uh, kind of the head of Camp Mohawk, uh, and he takes on this. Uh, he, he, you know, he goes down an octave. He's like very serious, but he's totally just playing. And he says like, oh, you know, they get, you know, these, you know, high end. Like Sadat. It was like, um, like somebody yeah, from it to come for to the kids, talk to the kids for a week. Uh, it was just the most ridiculous, ridiculous things. And the, the guy who's interviewing, it's over his head. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was definitely, I mean, there's just countless stuff that I, I think if, especially if Ivan Reitman would, would be doing commentary on it, on it. And I don't know. That I just think it's yeah, Bill just doing his thing. Uh, you know, it's it, you are limited when you're doing improvisation like that. You are very limited to what the cameras can do. But I mean, if you say you can go from here to here, do your thing. Uh, he 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 makes every single uh, thing he's given. He uses that entire thing. Right, and and again, it's um, it's like this adventure. So mm-hmm. given a, a set of situations, and and we've talked about some stories that he does in, in real life what's the adventure he can have. So given where the cameras are, given what's happening on, on the scene, you know, just the idea that he could just go into that scene and improvise this whole thing where he's, you know, this wasn't in the script at all, where he's, you know, the camp Mohawk guy and describing this ridiculous scenario uh, of what happens to what what the kids get for their thousand dollars a week in summer camp. Uh, (laughs) It's just, you know, it, it's almost like he's trying to challenge himself in each scene to see how point. ridiculous he could be, but within the context. He's, he, like you say, he doesn't jump out of the cameras. Yeah, he's, he's still in he's there. He's playing it straight. I mean, I know. I right. He's playing it straight. There's no. There's no. He's not making a joke. We all know people that have been successful with comedy, but it's, they're all winking. They're winking at the camera, which is a different approach. It's just I'm not saying which is better. I like Murray's approach. Right, he's not acting outlandish. No, you know, no. I mean, everything that he's doing, like he's being playful, but um, it, it was all like in the realm of this. This could happen, and somebody could be like this, and it was all one hundred percent believable. And I would also say with this movie, when he would improvise, it made everyone else look better because they would just kind of follow his lead, and it just it didn't seem out of place. It never felt out of place. Yeah, because then what? What would I like the word playful? I think what he's doing is he's playing, you know, he every situation kind of sets up a different set of rules and he's playing in the best way he can. Uh, and that's what he does in every scene. And, and uh, you know, again, what happens is, uh, you know, Chris Makepeace is this kind of lonely, uh, sort of bullied in the beginning kid. Uh, and he and Tripper, the, the, the head counselor that Bill Murray plays, build this relationship where Bill Murray is trying to get Chris Makepeace out of his shell. And of course the reverse is happening as well. And classic rom-com fashion, you know, Chris Makepeace is trying to get Bill Murray to open up romantically to, uh, uh, the actress, Kate Lynch, who plays, you know, the, the main female. Yeah. She's great. She does a fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, like I like the scene where, they're gambling uh, peanuts. <laughs> yeah, that's a great that, with the car. Yeah, they're and, and and Bill Murray is like giving various kind of semi ridiculous life lessons mm-hmm. to Chris Makepeace, yeah. and Chris Makepeace is sort of like half half knows they're ridiculous, but is also taking it seriously, and and you know really you know likes this relationship he's developing with with Tripper, and and they go running together, and uh, it really becomes this that becomes the the soul of the movie. I love it because like most people that were doing comedy would just go gag, 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 gag. But there's so much of that movie with him 
that is just this tender side to yeah. him, which I have to say a lot of people would be, I would, I would think would be too insecure to go there um, when they're doing comedy and they just are like, they, that we need to laugh every on every other page or something like that. And he was, I, I mean, they're definitely doing the tripper with Chris Maypiece. There were some laughs, but they weren't like the big laughs. I mean, it was just kind of a, like a tender, you were kind of touched by it and there were laughs in it, but not like the the big, like we're going to go for the, the big laugh sketch type things. Right, because yeah. there's, I think the context again almost makes it ludicrous. Like here's this, adult sort of adult guy like i don't know why he's the head counselor at this summer <laughs> yes. camp and he, he seems well, much he older than but right so so there's this older guy who's building a friendship with this young sort of shy quiet kid and almost that context is what makes it funny that bill murray is treating that he's almost treating that situation like they're equals yes. and the way he does that makes it's that in itself makes it ludicrous the more he treats that situation seriously that makes it funny there he doesn't condescend there's no um never like, condescends. Never, like he doesn't like play he's always playing up to the top of his intelligence like an improviser does but with chris maypiece he does he, he's like on the same level he treats him not like a kid like that he definitely he matters he's valuable there's something great one point i i want to make and i want to see what you think is if I had to guess, I think there is a correlation between how good the movie turns out and how much fun he's having off camera. Because I know the meatballs, they were like, and for definitely Caddyshack, they were just having so much fun, the time of their lives. I think they were having, they were definitely having fun making the movie. But I mean, behind the scenes, I mean, it was just, it was, it was party central and they were having a good time. For like, meatballs? Yeah. Like I know for like Brian Cranston would say for, and I get this. For Wait, what, Brian Cranston? No, no, was, no, no, no. I was going to say when he was doing um, Breaking Bad, it was like they, they would rap and he'd be in back in, in wherever his home or wherever in New Mexico, just focusing on the lines and everything else. There wasn't partying going on. I mean, it was not like that. And some comedy people would too be, I, have to, I just have to get my lines and be in the zone. And Murray's just like, at the end of the day, when they say cut, just like let's have a good time and have fun and i know that he had that there was a lot of fun on that set and and caddyshack and i just was wondering if there if that if that when that happens that correlation he just the performance is even i don't want to say better because he's always good but maybe maybe even more loose well well it's interesting you say that because off camera Bill Murray teaches Chris Minkpeace how to shave. So they, they did build kind of that kind of relationship yeah. of sort of this, you know, this tender sort of relationship offstage as well. And yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, so, so it's interesting you say that because maybe that kind of fueled, you know, the emotions they were feeling in the, in the different scenes. I like it. I mean, there was Jay, Jason, um, um, I can't believe Jason Schwartzman was on Conan uh, like a year or so after Rushmore, which is like the thing that really got him, uh, the public to know who he was like a year or two and said Murray took him out to dinner uh, before they, they shot and they'd never met each other. And um, Murray was just, you know, he was serious, but playing around. And at the end, when the, the check, Murray just kind of like w did this to like like signify that the kid was playing, that Jason Reitman was playing, was going to have to pay. And Reitman thought it was so funny. And it was just, I think that that is something like that when he's, especially with, 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 um, people that are significantly younger than him, I definitely think it's that thing where they definitely have a relationship off camera because we know so many people that are in the industry where it's like cut, they go to their trailers and they don't, they're not even like, they don't have a relationship yeah. with, with the person. But there's something about Murray 
especially with the the younger people where I just I think he cares. I think that there's definitely um heart that he's taking care of somebody. Like Murray's older than Wes Anderson, but when they were doing um when they were doing um the movie with Gene Hackman, when they were doing um I, I'm so tired, I should have slept. When they were doing help Steve Cohen, help me out. Oh. Um, oh, gosh, the, Gene Hackman. I can't believe it. he won, he got nominated for an Oscar. I am so tired. They filmed it uptown in Harlem. Um, Let's see. I had the soundtrack, the Tannenbaums. Oh, Royal so when they were yeah. doing Tannenbaums, Thank you. I can't believe p- people of the listening, please forgive me. Um, <laughs> no, I, you know, when they were doing Tannenbaums, and I saw that in the theater. Um, you know, um, Gene Hackman was definitely not thrilled with, um, it was giving, um, Wes Anderson a really hard time and being just not nice. And Bill Murray was very protective of Wes Anderson. And I think it's it's that, I don't know if it's an avuncular thing or a paternal thing, but with somebody that is um, younger, especially, it's very, very um, protective. I know that um, another film he said that it was like really, really cold, but I mean, there were kids there and that's when he like just lost it because he was just like, the kids are cold. Like he's like, for me, whatever. But he definitely, I think when he senses that something is, is being unjust to somebody, they can't defend themselves, especially. I mean, yeah, he just feels very protective and will we'll take matters in their I mean, own may, hands. Maybe that natural sense for him is what, again, fueled that relationship with Chris Makepeace, which really made the movie. Let me ask you this. Yeah. The, the kind of premise of the movie is a little weird. Like when you're watching it, yeah. you don't think it's weird, but I don't, there's no counselors in the movie. <laughs> there's all counselors it's, in training. Yeah, it's really And you different. never really see the campers either. Yeah, not too much. And like, even I, the big yeah. contests yeah, and yeah. stuff are all between the CITs. That's true. I never thought about campers. that logic. Yeah, some of the logic I'm sure is thrown out the door. I personally, it didn't bother me, but I'm, I'm, yeah, that is an excellent point. And another point is with who they hired for the most part, they were not comment trained comedy people. Like Chris Mapes was um I, I mean, did he get any laughs in the movie? I mean, he was like a drama guy. So. I mean, my bodyguard, he I mean he was and I loved it. I mean, that's what I loved is that um I think that normally the gut is to go with all train improvisers. Definitely train. Like when I watched Jump Street, one of the jump Street movies. The the woman was so funny. Is like at the end, it's like it's revealed she was the one, the the, the bad guy, and she was so funny. And in my head, I'm like, she's a Groundlings or Second City person, and I was just convinced. And then I googled, and it was Groundlings, which is fine. She was so funny, got all these laughs. But I I just I really do like when they go the other way um, with some of these people that are just not necessarily comedy people. Yeah, and I think it works. Yeah. I, I I like it. I mean, they were in Canada, and didn't they cast like? Uh, some of the parts with people that had never been in movies before. Yeah, and I don't think they ever were in movies again. Yeah, and there's something beautiful about that. I mean, even Chris Makepeace was in my was in my bodyguard. Yeah, yeah. and drama. maybe a couple other things. Yeah, but not not a lot. As an, not as an adult, I don't think he's been in anything. A drama. They put him in this thing, and they could have easily um, chartered a plane with all Second City people easily, or find these funny kids and like and like go up to Canada and have this movie where everybody's funny. And they just didn't go for that. And I, I loved it. I mean, there was definitely this realness a, about it. And, and again, there were gags, but it didn't feel like it had to be gag after gag. And the gags weren't over-exaggerated. I didn't think so. Like, I yeah. mean, some of them, some of the, the, the way that they they played them, I would say, the way act, the way that they acted them, they weren't 
they they weren't playing them over the top, which you see a lot of times. No, it was it was really the funniest parts is when Bill Murray was acting overly serious. Yeah, kind of against authority. Against authority. So like for there sure, were yeah. there were gags where some of the CITs were taking you know the the director of the camp Morty something to you know putting putting his bed in the river. Or yeah, lake that, or, that was like a running gag that they would we, they would do that, but they did it in a like he'd wake up. And he'd be like all upset and panicked, but be playing it real. It wasn't like I didn't see him going for laughs. I really, really didn't. And the way that they 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 did that, even that scene when they're um, the improvised thing when they well, it's probably in the script where they're taking the bed and they strap him down and he's sleeping. Um, the way Murray's doing it with with the the counselors, they, I, they it didn't seem to me like they were going for laughs. Even no, because it's he was acting funny. like almost yeah. like a drill sergeant. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tilt it this way. Okay, move out this yeah. way. I just think it was one of those things where. Um, yeah, he's like, we're going to play this like it was real. And I, I think that there's something beautiful about that. I mean, clearly in Stripes all throughout that, which another one is Murray throughout the, the, the script. He's he's just improvising and finding these moments with these people, finding real moments. He did that in Caddyshack, obviously, as well, with, with these people, um, a lot of them that didn't have that much training, if any, if any training, and just was able to get these other people to react um, in the moment with them that didn't have regular training. I think there's very something very disarming about him. Right. I think, yeah. And, and contrast that with, let's say, another summer camp movie, which was almost a parody movie, but, you know, Wet Hot American Summer. summer. sure, yeah. And yeah. that was an ensemble cast of com- basically stand-up all, comedians. It was all common. And then you had Bradley, an unknown Bradley Cooper. And yeah, you had people it, that, like, Amy Poehler, I don't think was established by them, but it was Michael all comedy. Michael Showalter. Yeah, no, it was all comedy. It was like, the, and the, the, I mean, they were, I mean, Janine Garofalo, Molly Shannon, really, really funny people. Um, the, the cast, you can't argue that against the talent and they're funny, but yeah, it was, ex- it was exactly that. It was all comedy people. Except yeah. for maybe, I don't think that Bradley Cooper was trained in comedy at that point or known as comedy, but he was more like the bad guy anyway. So yeah, and yeah. and that movie definitely okay. It was it was great for what it was, which yeah. was kind of like a, a a gag. You know, the gags move that movie along, yeah. but it didn't have that tenderness. There was that, not now, you know, even close. And, and, and the tenderness was almost yeah. funny in Meatballs yeah. because it's yeah. so it was ridiculous. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, those maybe. I mean, I would say so much of that comedy, the tenderness doesn't exist, and if it does, they just do it really briefly at the end to try to justify. Um, the the comedy and stuff and to like it's like a it's very brief and forced not always but I feel like that's an easy technique but I, that was guys um like whoever I did David Wayne and Show Walter I don't know who directed that that um what American Summer which again fill a, a room of people with that it it is really a really funny funny movie but yeah the tenderness thing isn't yeah just it wasn't there and there's definitely those Murray movies within the comedy that those tender moments um, are are there. I mean, yeah. And then, you know, there's kind of that, maybe the most memorable scene in the movie was his speech. Oh, uh, gosh. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, like, you know, they're about to play, or they're in the middle of playing Camp Mohawk in the Olympiad. Camp Mohawk's destroying them or is about to destroy them. And, uh you know, Bill Murray just starts yelling like it just doesn't matter over and over again until they're all going with him and he's like smashing things and it's all improv. I think even the line, it just doesn't matter. You know, I read something, I could be off, that Ivan Reitman was saying in the oral history that they just had dinner together or something or coffee and they were trying to beat out the scene and I think it was Murray that was just like, 
something they, they agreed um, it, was, it just doesn't matter it would be the thing but they had no idea what that would turn into but they knew they needed the speech and then Murray you just let him go but you know I feel again that again what's what happens off camera with him happens on camera like that philosophy of it oh, just sure. doesn't matter yeah uh you know it's 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 the theme of basically all his movies it's the theme of all these off-camera stories where he just go go shows up at a party yeah. and starts serving there's drinks. a lot of that and that's made in that um tommy Avellone's um wonderful documentary they talk about that they talk about that scene and and those words and it, how it parallels uh, his his life, his choices, and, and his roles. Uh, I mean, Ghostbusters is one. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't want to talk about Ghostbusters yet because there's so much to talk about Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's. But huge. his career is just um, talking about meatballs. I there's only a few things I really remembered from that movie going in that I remember the theme song. Um, at the, um are you ready for the summer? I definitely remember. Oh yeah, I like um, that song. Murray with the hook. Um, with the, we, that's improvised when he's telling the camp story, all improvised, and then yeah. he brings out the hook. But there's so much other stuff that um, I think maybe just being older, especially like um, with more of an uh, an adult eye, there's just so many things I didn't notice in that movie that I really, really liked. like. What? Well, I just didn't. I, if I had to guess, like, tell me what meatballs is it? I would say it was gag, 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 gag. And I didn't realize how much like Murray, especially, and the the female lead. What's her name again? She was so good. Um, uh, Murray's love interest. How like how there were tender moments, and they were playing it straight. And I didn't. I don't think I remembered that how that, that there that they how they much of it that was played straight and and real and and he's vulnerable yeah. in there. Like what, at the end, they're deciding to I live forgot. together. Yeah, and he's I, a little nervous yeah. about committing to it. Oh, I forgot about say. how how much of that was in was contained in the film and um I was showing Christine stripes and she wasn't um she she wasn't into stripes part she was but by the time it just got to she's like I can't get into this and we stopped watching but even stripes which is like another thing gag 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 um there's moments with him with Murray same thing the, the, uh, with him uh, with tender moments as well I I guess you're right like I if I when I think what do I remember as a kid I I sort of think I was laughing nonstop but when you actually watch the movie, the, it's it's he's funny and it's a funny movie, but it's not like this nonstop laughter. It's like really interesting, yeah, d- yeah. deep humor. And then I think this it just doesn't matter becomes this sort of uh, rallying call to action for all the kids and even now adults who watch the movie. It's a very kid like attitude, and it can be really successful. The detachment, I mean. Uh, one of my friends who's a stand-up, I think it was Craig Baldo, put on Facebook that that Murray said in an interview, if you can detach and um, you can do like you'll do your best work if you just don't care. And and Baldo, who's a really funny guy, was just like, I just it's so hard to do that. Yeah, but he is able to do that, and some people can just do it. And I definitely think when people are they're more most, re- but maybe it was more relaxed, just completely relaxed. They're going to do their best work. Well, well, but that's interesting though, because people always say, particularly for improvisation or stand up, everyone always says be yourself, but that doesn't actually mean anything because we're our, yeah. we're different versions of ourselves depending on the situation usually. But Bill Murray seems to have cracked a code, and you see it first really in his movie career in Meatballs, he seems to have cracked the code on what it means to be authentically himself on on the screen. His, his skill set, I'm sure there's a few other people, but to throw away a script 
make it funny, genuine, without telling a single joke. Not going for like the the really broad laughs. I I I'm sure that if we if we thought about it, I'm sure we could maybe come up with a, a, a few people, but not many. I, I, a little bit Robin set. Williams in the early days. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. If they really, I mean, oh yeah, I mean him and Jonathan Winters especially. I mean, he yes, that that's a good good point. But but you know that was like a I don't know with commercials it was whatever twenty five twenty six minutes. But to do a, a thing with a, a movie with an arc and really be able to still tell the story and not um, make the plot suffer and and still like really because um, there are these some movies where the, just like the the arc um, is sacrificed of the story and the story just for the jokes and and it's like. The jokes have to serve, and just the comedy and just the performances have to serve the what the story overall story is and the message. That's what I get. Yeah, and and I think maybe we can say the the overall message of Meatballs. What I get out of it is this phrase: "It just doesn't matter." And the way that became this kind of the call to action that basically inspires the entire camp, and then the inspires the audience. And it's not just him saying it; it's him. And acting that way in every scene, it just doesn't matter. And yet, things work out for him. He it, yeah. meets the girl. Yeah. They move in together. And by, by the way, the other thing that's different between being, seeing it as a child and seeing it as an adult, I didn't think that Kate Lynch was that attractive when I was a kid. <laughs> she wasn't like the platonic ideal of beauty for an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. But uh, now when I see it, she's you know she's a very beautiful woman. Yeah, she's attractive. No, <laughs> you can no. see what he sees in her. Oh, oh, and then I want to ask you what you think of this with in in terms of the, um his romantic scenes. You know, he first tries to win her over. He kind of physically tackles her. Culturally wise, no, that yeah, would not. Yeah, I don't fly think you can today. do that now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but apparently he yeah. did that in real life too. Oh, really? He, that was his courtship technique in real life. Oh, I yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, Amy Poehler, I think, is the one I read in an interview in the last year that said comedy does not age well. And certainly that was the scene that stuck out that I was like, I, I didn't remember it and just watching it. I was, I was like, yeah, that, that, yeah, that was the one thing that stuck out is, yeah. But again, he was being true to himself. And yes, it doesn't age well, but that is apparently how he acted in real life then. Yeah. And I, you know, I have no idea about, I didn't know about that. But yeah, um, it, well, if that's the way he he was doing it in real, it, it, he definitely seemed real to me. That the, the, I mean, it was playfulness, but definitely that it definitely in today's standards and rightfully so crossed a line. But uh, and I've seen a recent interview with Ivan Reitman where he says, "Oh, you could tell it was just playful, but I think clearly it it crossed a line. It if it did. was aired today, I mean, Harold Ramis and um, was saying with Vacation, he like was doing commentary, and it was the scene." I think we're there in St. Louis, and it's like um, they're in a, a place that doesn't have a lot of a section of the city that doesn't have a lot of money, and they have all these gags. And he's like, "I'm not proud of this. I'm not proud of this scene." And at the time, I know the theater full of people were laughing, but um, looking back at certain things, uh, yeah, that was the one only thing I could think of that, and maybe there were more that really stuck out um, for me. I want to talk about one more point about it just doesn't matter. Something about that. There's no. There's the pressure. I mean, people are so nervous to do things, and and if you can really do abide by that, like it just doesn't matter. It's just like yeah, the and, pressure and, is like uh, people are going to do their work better. But I I certainly can't do that all the time. I mean, I I I think we can try to, and I think if we try to do that, maybe we can be better at it. But it, Murray seems to be wired like that. 
And, but, and, and there's boundaries to it still. It doesn't mean go out and like murder oh, people of course. you don't like. And, no, of course. But, yeah, yeah. But, but he's some, he, he's, he goes to the outer limits of it's those in, boundaries. It's in context. To, yes. fi- to find where the play, yeah. where the, where the maximum yeah. playfulness is. And it seems yeah. like he does that in every situation yeah. in his life. It just doesn't matter within, um, something that, that's safe, that's not going to hurt people. And, um, and, yeah. and it's important in the context that he wasn't rich and famous then. No. But that was his underlying philosophy yeah. somehow. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he was, I, when I talked to somebody that right when he was getting famous before, they said he was the same Bill Murray. And, you know, some people, when they get famous, they just want to be around their Hollywood friends. And Murray is, is loyal to people that were, that were not famous that he knew at SNL. I mean, when he goes to the, when I, I was told and um, by I or I heard from several people when he would go and at the after party when if he hosted or if he was visiting, he he'd be with the crew. He would sit down with the crew guys. I mean, and I know when he did um, Jane Pauly, he was friendly with her. Um, she had a very like for one season, she had a, a show that was that was taping at NBC, and Murray um, did her show because. Again, Murray's like, I don't have to do this. Like, I was, cause I was thinking, how did Murray, how did Jane Paul get Murray to do this? Cause he doesn't do many of these things. And I'm like, out of loyalty, that was it. And I was told um, by somebody that after after he was with Jane Paul, he went up to 8H and just wanted to hang out with all the crew guys. Hmm. Hey, Says a lot. Well, one last question I have for you. You, you know, you mentioned um, Chevy Chase's uh, insult to Bill Murray, like yeah. it looks like your face, you know, yeah, yeah, Neil that, Armstrong thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he has all these kind of, mm-hmm. I guess he had acne as a kid and there's all these yeah. kind of scars. And yet he's never portrayed, and no one in any movie, no one ever calls him an ugly or unattractive never. guy. He it has never this, um, what, what I like to call this ugly charisma. <laughs> Like he's he's so charismatic and so comfortable with himself in every situation that like, that makes him a very attractive yeah. person. Yeah, even like when he's playing a um, like a not likable person until the end with um, with Scrooge. Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, I definitely think. Um, yeah, I think that that's a good point. Really quick, and then we can go back to this. Is um, my point is when he visited everyone at SNL after Jane Pauley, the crew. Those were the people that were there when he was their seventies. I mean, this was like twenty five years later, and he just wanted to go back and see his friends. I mean, they weren't famous, and that's who Marie is from. People I've talked to that aren't famous that told me. So, so it seems like then it seems like he valued just like that. What scene you described, where he's talking with Ivan Reitman. Reitman wants to talk business. And Bill Murray values the relationships much more than the business. It's almost yeah. like the business is not real to him. Like that either happens or it doesn't, but the relationships are real. And, you know, we'll we'll eventually talk about The Razor's Edge, which is a super serious 100%, movie. 100%, yeah, yeah. And, in, and, and, and the fact that he wanted to make that, you know, there's large elements of that movie that are based on real life, you know, spiritual gurus in India from like the 1930s, 1920s, 1910s, it where, uh, you know, their inherent philosophy is that nothing matters, that people don't really, you know, all of these things that we view as important are really just man-made and you just have to focus on your own kind of internal, uh, peace. And the fact that, you know, Bill Murray must've been exposed to that at some point though those philosophies so much that he wanted to make that movie you know kind of also is a sort of a little bit of a light that shines on on you know all of this stuff we're talking about yeah i wonder how much he was affected when he was in france for those years um because I, I knew he um he did ghostbusters if he could make 
I didn't. I didn't know if it was that movie, but something. No, it was a that drama. Movie. It was okay. Good. That okay. was the deal. Before so it was. Ghostbusters. I didn't. I knew it was like a drama, but I didn't know the studio. I was like, he, okay, we'll let you do that. He, he specifically was not going to do yeah. Ghostbusters yeah, unless yeah, yeah. they let him do Razor's Edge. Yeah, Rage. I'm not really sure his trajectory, like in terms of his philosophy with that, with that type of stuff when he was on SNL, because um, I mean, Ghostbusters was 84. He had been out for four years, and be, between that time, he made Caddyshack. He did, I think, Stripes. Stripes. And I'm, my guess is he probably did maybe one other thing. Maybe he did two things. I mean, we I like don't that know prior to Meatballs, he did, uh, you know, Where the Buffalo Roam, about 800 Thompson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually never yeah. saw that. I um, There was in the oral history of, of Vanity Fair, they talk about that. That was like during one of the, when it first came out, that he was in still like wear, dressed up like, like Hunter Thompson because he was about to make that film. Um, but yeah, m- something about Murray when... Um, yeah, like they said in, oh, this is it. This is what I want to say. In the Vanity Fair, they said, like it just came out and um, they were in a limo and just like having a good time. And they went, they stopped at the theater. Murray had never seen a crowd. There's like 400 people and they snuck in the back. And Murray was, was like watching some of like the scenes with that he did. And he just was so, he seemed so happy that that they they were like first of all that they got laughter but like even like the the, the speech that it just got such a big reaction because there's nothing really that funny in that speech mm-hmm. it's more just him but that it just resonated with people yeah uh, um there's one other thing i wanted to say oh about uh, the film yeah yeah just this is this is just about bill murray in general in terms of talent yeah. Like obviously his his brothers were he had many brothers. Oh gosh, there were siblings. so many brothers and sisters. Caddyshack, the opening of Caddyshack is based on that. That's why it's the house full yeah. of like um the, the all those kids. It's like twenty kids. And, and his brother Brian Doyle Murray was a, a co writer on Caddyshack. But then I didn't know this until literally the other day. I just recently rewatched the entire series of Mad Men. I binge watched in like two weeks. Oh wow! Uh, all seven seasons of yeah, Mad yeah, Men. Yeah, I've and seen them. did you know um. Freddie Rasmussen, that kind of alcoholic guy mm-hmm. who's fired in season one, mm-hmm. um, he's Bill Murray's brother. Yeah, Joel I didn't Murray. know that because I saw I, I saw a movie when and it was a kid and I recognized him and I'd always like be, at the end wanted to know what Matt Weiner was going to choose for the closing credits and then I saw his yeah he he's he's um the the guy on the show right that was um had a drinking problem yeah. and it culminates with some stuff with some big beats um. But yeah, he was so good on that show. Yeah, he was I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Brian, a different kind of talent. He was a talented actor. Yeah, he's talented. He was at Second City. And Brian, Brian Doyle Murray still works. I, um, I don't know if I've seen him in something where I don't recognize him. Like I don't know what I've seen him in. Has like, he been an actor in anything? I'm like the, trying to think now off the top of my head. Writer? Well, he was on a TBS sitcom that I never saw um, with a like, Steve something was a, like a, a comedian for his vehicle. And it was like set in, an, in a bar, like an Irish bar, I think. And then he was in Wayne's World as like the, the, the Noah's Arcade owner, and they make fun of him. Um, he's definitely in Caddyshack as um, as the guy he's with the mustache that is um, that is um, kind of like ordering all the caddies and like will like yell at them when necessary. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's oh, yeah. That's, that's so interesting yeah. because he looks like I, sometimes I confuse yes. him for Bill Murray. Yes, and then he's in um, he's in Vacation. Is is a funny scene where Chevy Chase is like. Um, he keeps ringing a bell. They're outdoors, and he wants a tent, and he keeps ringing, and the guy comes out with watermelon and takes the bell away from Chevy Chase. And it's this really subtle thing, but he plays it very, very well. But when I was a kid, I couldn't tell that they were the same person. I I, I couldn't. I mean, yeah, I had no idea until later. Uh, and I'm trying to think what else he was in, but um, yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff, and he's uh, definitely, obviously, a funny guy to write um, 
Right, Caddyshack, which is based on 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 yeah, being a caddy, and and having a, a house full of siblings. Yeah, and so 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 meatballs. Uh, the budget they only gave Ivan Reitman a, a one point six million dollar budget to make an entire movie. What would that is, today be? I wonder. It'd be like about five? six times as much, five or six times yeah. as much. Or would it be okay? So I was still gonna not guess much. like five or six million. Yeah, I mean. But but they 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 rented out a summer or some summer camp let yeah. them use the facility. Yeah, it was a real place. Which I again I should have brought up. Um, yeah, there's I mean, only a few speaking parts. It's wonderful. None of the campers They're not speak. on a back lot. They're not in a sound stage. They could have easily done the interiors in a stage. But yeah, no, there's something great. That was a, it was a real it was a real place. And um, like now it would be yeah. an indie movie. Yeah. But then it was it like be. that was the hit of the summer in 1979. Because who do they have to? No, it was enormous. I mean, for the the amount of money that it made for what is it like? Who they, did they 50 really? Million in an ultimate box amazing. office. Amazing. Like who did they have to really like? Murray, I don't know what he was not established. I mean, I hope he got a good good money and and Ivan Reitman. But I'm trying to think like none of the other cast was established. Maybe Morty was like he was a character actor. He he did, but like then, uh, did John Landis direct? John Landis didn't direct that one. No, that was um, but he John Landis did direct. Um, what did he direct? Did he direct anything with Murray? I mean, he did Three Amigos. He did um, a bunch of stuff with Eddie Murray. I, I don't know. We'd have to look at Landis's body of work. Um, but um, yeah, Ivan Reitman. I'm pretty sure directed that one. It was like, I, I mean, I, Ivan Reitman paid, but like, there's nothing like big budget about it. Like that's right. what I love. There's not like Chris Makepeace is his first yeah. thing. Yeah, there's nothing that they're that they're trying to pull off that like we don't have the budget to do and i think sometimes like this is a lorne michaels thing sometimes when there's like there's rules that or you're limited that's like the that's like that's a, a actually a good thing like they didn't like i i almost like I, i'm glad that they didn't have 10 million dollars because like i don't know what they would think that we have to do something with this yeah and the big they explosion were, somewhere was better on a shoestring it really really was yeah yeah well Mark, what'd you think? Uh, this is the first episode of analyzing the movies of Bill Murray. Do you enjoy uh, talking about meatballs? And- I love this. And I was coming over. I was I was thinking, I was like, how long is this going to be? I'm like, I, yeah, I thought it I, might be like 10 minutes. I told my wife um, this morning, I'm like, I can probably talk meatballs for 20 minutes. I said, maybe James knows much more, but um, I'm looking over at Jay at how long we've recorded. And I, I, I imagine it's it's... It's a lot, lot longer than we thought. How long was it, Jay? Roughly? It's close to ninety. Ninety minutes. Oh my Woo! god! On meatballs. Yeah, I'm. This was fun. I mean, this was easy and organic, and no notes in front of us. I mean, I know that we both of us are big, big, big uh, pre- doing the prep, and I did very light prep as you did. So yeah, this was fun. Excellent. Well, well, this is the the first of analyzing all of the Bill Murray movies, and stay tuned for Caddyshack. Looking forward to it. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.